0: seated. Um, Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. Uh, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And then chapter 17, verse 1. All the congregation But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Uh, years ago, there was a, a sketch on Saturday Night Live um, that Tom Hanks played uh, called Mr. Short-Term Memory. Um, he, would, he, would, he would order a meal and forget that he ordered it. And so when the waiter brought him poached salmon, he said, what are you bringing this to me for? I haven't even ordered. You haven't even given me a menu. Don't give me food. He forgot his short-term memory was gone but it's salmon. I love salmon. He got all excited. Um, He would forget all kinds of of little things throughout these these different sketches that he did, these different skits that he did. He uh, was on a game show and was asked to give an answer, and he said, but you haven't given me the question yet. And, of course, they had. His problem is that he he couldn't remember things that had just happened, like the, the things that were just like just a couple of minutes ago, taking place, play, he, he had no memory of them. So they called him Mr. Short-Term Memory. You know, the reality is we have a short-term memory. We, in a lot of ways, are, are just like Tom Hanks' character in this Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live skits because we have a short-term memory. We forget the faithfulness of God from day to day, from one day to the next, from one week to the next, from one month, to the next we have short-term memory problems we forget what god has done for us yesterday he spared us but you know what that doesn't really matter that so far in the past i need him to do something now and god what have you done for me lately we forget which then causes us to grumble And complain, why are you giving me this food? You haven't even given me the menu yet. You haven't taken my order yet. We forget what God has done yesterday. And so we complain that He doesn't love us and that He doesn't care. And that He's really not at all interested in our struggles, our cares, our concerns. The things we go through in this life. Israel is right on the heels of the greatest show of God's control over creation since the flood. Really, if you think about it, God's, God's the order, sort of the greatness of God's control over creation, you've got creation itself, you've got the flood, and you've got this event where He literally tells the sea, move. And He blows the wind and the Red Sea Parts. And and the mud underneath, at the bottom where the ground is, dries instantly. And the Israelites were able to pass through. And and right on the heels of that is the Egyptians said, hey, look, we got this. We can do this too. God decided to blow the wind again and say, hey, water, go back to where you belong. And it did. And it destroyed the Egyptian army. Drowned every single one of them. And we're told back in chapter 14 that God said back in in 14, 17, and 18 that that He was going to get glory over Pharaoh and all His hosts, His chariots, and His horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. They know. I mean, the army, they're dead. But they know. Right? They now know that God is the Lord of all creation and He's done exactly what He said He was going to do and to get glory over Pharaoh and his army and they will know that I am the Lord. And the Israelites were standing right there and they saw it all. They watched every bit of it. They saw His glory. And at the end of chapter 14, we're told the very last verse of chapter 14, they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. How long do they wait? How long is long enough to realize God doesn't care about you? How long is long enough to discover God's not interested in you? For them, three days. Literally, they start marching and... Three days. Like now, okay. They didn't. They didn't. They they they, they didn't have their Camelback backpacks, their Osprey backpacks with the water bladder, the tube, and the straw. They they weren't prepared for all that. They didn't know what they were getting into. They didn't know how long they were going to be gone. They didn't. They didn't have all of that information, so they didn't pack water the way you know you and I go for a day hike, and we're like, you got to have like eight gallons of water because you never know what could happen. They weren't prepared like that. But literally, they go three days. Verse 22, chapter 15 tells us. And begin grumbling because there's no water. In fact, verse 23, they came to Marah. They couldn't drink the water of Marah because it was Marah. Therefore, they named it Marah. Like That's how it reads in Hebrew. You, unfortunately, of course, we know Mara means bitter, but... But in Hebrew, Mara is bitter. Would be Mara. So there's this this re- repetition of Mara clearly they couldn't drink the water. Now you realize it wasn't called Mara when they got there. They named it Mara. But when when Moses writes Exodus, it was called Mara. That's how the people, the readers, would have known it. Verse twenty four: The people grumbled against Moses. We don't have anything to drink. This is all your fault. And, and to show us that this wasn't just a, a one-time event, look at verse 2 of chapter 16. We read this just a few minutes ago. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Look at verse 7 um, in uh, uh, chapter 16. And listen to the way this word grumbling repeats over and over again. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because he has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. I stopped reading, but you could keep going. And there's more grumbling in verses 9 through twelve, Verse 12, God says, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. And then again, verse 3 of chapter 17, the word changes to quarrel. But then they grumbled against Moses. Grumbling became a pattern of God's people after leaving Egypt murmuring, complaining, you know, the 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 way you do under your breath and, and oh, nobody cares about me. You, just, you can't you can't really say it out, but you're constantly this murmuring, grumbling kind of sound and, and and you're convinced people don't love you. You're convinced God doesn't love you. And and that's the pattern in these chapters. This really is sort of the thread that holds that holds these three different events together. God's people are grumbling. They're murmuring against God. Now, we know better than that, right? i mean, like, we read this and we sort of look down on the Israelites for their fickleness, right? I mean, come on, Israel. You literally just watch you, the attacking army get swallowed up in the Red Sea after you walked on dry land in the exact same place where they got swallowed up and three days later you're going to complain? Like, we look down on them as though we would never. I mean, I would wait at least a week before I started. I mean, three days is all they could. But notice, notice the situation. Notice the reason for their grumbling in these passages. In chapter 15. They've, they've walked three days. And they don't have water. They weren't plant prepared for that. They couldn't drink the water. Because it was bitter. It wasn't, it wasn't good to drink. Three whole days. Was all they could survive. Since seeing the Red Sea part. After that, they travel to uh, the valley of sin that that's a convenient word don't don't read our word sin back into that it's connected to the word sinai it's the sort of the valley near sinai so it's connected uh, to that now it's been like a month and a half. notice verse. Uh, one of chapter 16 on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Now it's been a whole month and a half and they're complaining because they've run out of food. And notice what your short-term forgetfulness does to you. Because in 16.3, they're convinced they used to sit around in Egypt around pots of meat and ate loaves of bread to the full. There is zero evidence that any of that is true. But when you get angry, when you get frustrated with God, we sort of accentuate these these false realities from our past. We had it so much better back then. We had all this blessing, all this meat and bread, and out here we have absolutely nothing to eat. Well, now they're going to have meat every evening, and bread, every morning. Our grumbling can lead to idolizing, glamorizing the past when the present seems so bleak. And we're convinced that they're bleak because God doesn't actually care about us. And then in 17, they're grumbling again. Again, this time because of water. They don't have enough water. They don't have water to drink. It's interesting. These are all daily, regular needs, right? They they need food and they need water. The the basic necessities of life. Let's, Let's face it. You can survive without clothes. You can survive without shelter. You can survive without a house. Without a car. Now, I'm not saying it would be easy, and I'm not saying it'd be, it's ideal, I'm, but you can. You can live without a house. You can live without a car. You can live without clothes. You can't live without food and water. But in some ways, this passage is an argument from the greater to the lesser. God brought them out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt miraculously through the Red Sea, yeah, right, but he doesn't; He's not going to give you food and water. Like at some level, that's, that's kind of what this passage is supposed to say to us. Like we, we trust Him with the big things. We trust Him with these huge important things. But it's the little things that cause us to grumble. It's the little things, the daily needs that cause us to murmur against Him the normal everyday daily needs for that matter didn't jesus teach us to pray our give us this day our daily bread our short-term memory causes us to forget god's faithfulness I, we have, we have years of God's grace and mercy in our lives that we will throw away in an instant because right now, this right here seems like He doesn't care. We have short-term memory that leads to grumbling and complaining against God. But what if there's actually a purpose behind these events? What if there's actually a reason why they, they are running out of water and, and Mara is bitter. What if there's actually a reason why they're running out of food? What if there's actually a reason why they need water again? What if that was all part of God's intended purpose? What if that was always God's plan? Notice verse 25 of chapter 15. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there... He tested them. At Marah, God tests Israel. You you see it again in verse 4 of chapter 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. maybe, Maybe you're thinking, hold on a second. Whoa, hold on. God doesn't test people. Like That's not that's not the way God operates. I don't know what you're... Is He trying to trick them? Is He trying to sort of bait and switch? Is He trying to hold out a carrot that He's going to yank away and, and make them do something that, that they really aren't supposed to? That's not what it means here. The language has more to do with training them, preparing them, disciplining them. Kind of the way we read in Hebrews 12 when we're told that God disciplines His children. He disciplines those that He loves. It's a word that means we're being discipled, we're being trained uh, to to follow God's commands to trust in Him. You know, parents, we know the difference between punishment and discipline. Uh, we punish our children... Uh, because of something they did wrong, that merely looks backwards. Discipline may have something to do with something you know somewhere they 've disobeyed, but it has an eye towards training them and preparing them for the future, learning to to trust their parents and their parents commands. Parents discipline children because we love them. God disciplines us because. He loves us. We, we should obey. Children should obey their parents promptly, completely, joyfully when they tell them to stay out of the busy street. Not because parents are trying to be killjoys, but because they love you and want to protect you and keep you safe. So we find in these passages God testing His people without water, without food. So how does he train them? What's he he doing? How does he train them in the wilderness? There really are two things we need uh, to learn to trust God. These are food and water. These are are sort of the basic needs of life. It's not things like getting out of Egypt that's at stake here. It's not... Um, survival. It's, it's, it's a survival in the wilderness. It's not getting through the Red Sea. You know, God cares about his people. But these are cases where does he care when we think we don't really need him to show up big? Like it's it's that language. That, that reminds us, oh yeah, I trust Him when I need Him to show up big. When, when I need Him to do something that only He can do and show to me and everyone around us that, that He's the one doing it. What if I need something as simple as food? What if I need something as simple as water? And that's where these Israelites are. And they're learning to live under the guidance of his commands. They're learning to trust him, to live by faith for their daily provision, for their daily care. Are those the areas where we struggle the most? Do we do we trust him for the big things? Do we trust him for the for my salvation. I absolutely, I know that I can't save myself. I know that, that there's nothing I can do to earn God's favor. I trust Him with my salvation. But I don't really trust Him with taking care of this little tiny issue over here. This particular daily need. We trust Him with the major catastrophes of life. But food? Water? Water? Even in the Lord's Prayer, God is teaching us, training us to trust Him daily, to depend on Him daily. Of course, in chapter 16, and we didn't read a lot of this, but in, in Exodus 16, there's this added feature of the Sabbath. Uh, you know the story. Um, every morning you get up and you go out and you collect your manna, this, this white bread-like substance. Manna is, sounds like Hebrew for what is it? Um, and you collect it, and it's good for that day, and you eat it that day. And if you try to keep it the next for the next day, when you get up the next morning, it's spoiled. It's, it's rotten. It's bad. It's gross. And so you have to get rid of it. And part of that training is depending on God for daily need. But there's this added feature of except on the sixth day of the week, you can actually collect twice as much because on the seventh day, there's not going to be any out there. You don't go out there and get it, and God's going to provide uh, that seventh day, they'll they'll it'll keep overnight, and you can you know what you have left over from the day before, you can eat on the Sabbath. So there's this added feature of a weekly dependence—not only our daily needs, our daily food and water, but our weekly pattern of work. They're perfect illustrations to teach us, to train us, to trust in God. If we feel like we can throw off this command to work six days and rest on the seventh day because well, we we just absolutely have to. You don't understand. I absolutely have to work on Sunday. I have to work on the Sabbath. I can't possibly. We're showing God that we're really depending on us and not on Him. We're not trusting Him to fulfill His promises to, to make the six days be sufficient for the work that we do. But what's interesting about this is in chapter 16, look at verse 27. God doesn't just command us not to work on the Sabbath. Look at verse 27 of chapter 16. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather and they didn't find any. What does that mean? It means God is modeling that Sabbath. He's modeling that day of rest. He didn't work either. Okay, he still upholding everything by the power of His right hand. Right? His hand of providence is still at work. We're not denying that. But He didn't send the manna that morning. He took that day of rest also. He's modeling for us this, this Sabbath uh, command is rooted in creation. And that seventh day when God ceased from His work of creating and rested on the seventh day and blessed it to be a day of rest. And yet they find no manna to gather, but their manna from the day before was enough left over and it didn't spoil. It didn't rot. It didn't go bad. Do you see the picture? We're trained not only by hearing and following God's commands, but we're partly trained by watching Him work too. We rest on the seventh day. We rest one day out of seven because He's told us to, but also because He models it for us. Well, if this is God's training, if this is Him training us, then what is it we are learning? Well, we're learning the same thing that the Egyptians learned. That He is the Lord. You see back in chapter 15, Verse 25 and 26, uh, he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log. He threw it in. The water became sweet there. The Lord made a statute and a rule And there. He tested him saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord and do that, which is right in his eyes and give ear uh, to his commandments and keep his statutes. I will not put, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. Do you hear what's implied there? If you don't do those things, you will deal with those diseases. You see it again in verse 12 of chapter 16. I've heard the grumbling of the people say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. It seems that a large part of Israel's wilderness wandering was learning that He is God. That He is the Lord. A large part of our discipleship, a large part of our spiritual growth and maturity is learning that he is the Lord. And that means two things. First, it means he his word is final because he's the creator and sustainer of everything. He's the creator. We're the creature because he's the king and we are the subjects because he's omnipotent and holy and just. We should obey him for that reason. His word is final. Final And there's this sense in which verses 25 and 26 of chapter 15 instill fear in us. Because we recognize that he alone is the sovereign king and ruler over all of creation. If we keep his commands and give ear to his commands and do what's right in his eyes, then he will... Protect us from those diseases that he put on the Egyptians. However, if not, then they will face those same sicknesses, those same diseases. We know how this works in our home, right? Parents tell children all the time, Well, mom, dad, why do I have to take out the trash? Because I'm your dad, because I'm your mom. And what we mean is, because I'm in charge and you're not, and my word is therefore final. And so at some level, we obey because God has all authority in heaven and on earth. But there's another aspect of this, because notice the end of verse 26 of chapter 15. None of these diseases that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. See, sometimes I'm your mother means because I told you so, because I'm in charge and I'm the parent, you're the child, and you will do what I tell you to do. Sometimes it means because I'm the parent and you're the child and you will do what I tell you to do, but I'm also the person that made sure you had food before you went to school today and clean clothes to wear and picked you up from practice after school and made sure you had a nice warm bed with clean sheets to sleep in. Do you really think I'm just being that mean here now? In other words, if we can trust God with our salvation, we can absolutely trust Him for our food. We can trust Him for everything. We can trust Him for our daily needs. Can I make one observation it's pretty obvious, but it's easy. It's one of those obvious things that's easy to miss. God's not testing the Israelites to see if they will pass the test and therefore be saved. He's testing Israelites that he has already delivered from Egypt. He's not saying if they pass this test, then... I will actually call them to be my people. No, he's saying, I've already called you to be my people. Now grow in your knowledge of me. Grow in your love for me. Grow in your understanding of who I am for you. And yes, my word is a rule and a law to you, but it's a rule and a law from someone who loves you and cares deeply for you. And if we can trust him With the big things, if we can trust him with getting out of Israel, of Egypt, we can absolutely trust him with those things that we find hardest to give to him. Because he's the Lord, we can trust him with the huge things. Because he's the Lord, we can trust him with the little things, because he's not out for our destruction. He loves you and cares for you and provides for you because you are his child. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we pray that you would uh, grant us the the grace to trust in you more, uh, to give ear to your commands, to uh, look at your law, your statutes, not as as overbearing difficulties in our life because You're just that mean, but as signs of Your love for us and of Your care and provision for us. Grant us the grace to trust and to obey. We pray all of this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.